Hey guys, welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. If you've yet to sign up for our annual retreat, I really want you there. We would love to have you guys sign up. Make sure you take advantage of our early bird pricing by going to dadtired.com forward slash retreat. Really excited for our conversation today. Before we jump in, I do want to thank my friends over at Samaritan Ministries for sponsoring today's episode. When it comes to choosing your healthcare provider, one of the most frustrating things can be network restrictions, but there's another way. Samaritan Ministries is a community of Christians who actually pay one another's medical bills without the use of insurance. As a Samaritan member, you can choose the doctors, the treatments, the hospitals that are right for you and your family. Just consider this. A medical emergency arises. You don't have to check with an insurance company to ask which hospital to go to. You just go. And after care is received, your medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries and they'll notify members to pray and send money directly to you to help you pay those bills. This direct member-to-member sharing approach is one of the many joys of being a Samaritan member. It's biblical, it's affordable, and you can join today. When the body of Christ comes together to pray and encourage and provide for one another, burdens are lifted and God is glorified. This applies to all areas of life, including healthcare. It reminds me of the verse in Galatians 6, 2, which says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you're interested in becoming part of this amazing community, you can go to SamaritanMinistries.org forward slash dad tired. Again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org slash dad tired. Todd and Jeff, super excited to be hanging out with you guys today. I've got a lot of thoughts and questions swirling in my mind that I want to ask you guys. But before we jump into all those kind of fun conversations. Maybe just give us an update on who you are and what you're up to these days. Yeah. So Jeff Kinley, I was a pastor for over 30 years, um, 25 of those years, student pastor and worked with parents and dads all throughout that time. Uh, Mm. Now just writing and speaking full-time and um, mentoring younger folks and and that type of thing. But God's keeping me super busy traveling around the country and speaking and uh, doing some partnership with this other guy here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, y'all need to pray for him about that, man. The other guy's crazy. <laughs> Todd Hampson, my day job is I have an animation company called Timbuktoons. We produce content for family-friendly entertainment, ministries, children resource providers, that kind of thing. Wow. But also I write books and write and illustrate books on eschatology, theology, Bible prophecy, kind of big, heady topics that are intimidating and have been sensationalized, but we want to kind of package it in a way that every Christian can understand and really yeah. want to dive into. Grew up unchurched, kind of had to figure some of the family stuff out with some mentors that God put in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that, but I've got two sons and a daughter that I'm raising, been married 20, coming up on 24 years. Wow. So uh, my wife's put up with me this long, so she hadn't killed me yet, so I'm in good shape. <laughs> and yeah, we're just speaking with Jeff and I have a podcast called the Prophecy Pros Podcast and the conditions of the world and the topic itself people are hungry. We're, we do these one-day events called pop-up conferences. Mm. We're speaking all over the country. Our podcast mm. is blowing up. We can barely keep up. Mm. It's just God's kind of teed it up for us at this time. Yeah. Yeah. That's really the the stuff I'd love to talk about is the prophecy stuff. Like mm-hmm. even the word, just saying the word prophecy, there's going to be some people who hear that and like, oh, geez, where are we going here? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know? And so maybe let's just start there. Like, why do you think it's such a I don't know, controversial word in the Christian mm-hmm. space. Like when people hear the word prophecy, they're immediately like their guard comes up like, oh, geez, what are we going to be talking about here? Is this going to get weird? Why do you think people have that kind of visceral reaction to that? Well, I think one reason is just simply because of the fact that it's been so abused in different mm. circles. And, you know, there have been sensationalists and date setters and 
people that always want to play on, they play on the times uh, in order to try to make these predictions or try to, you know, find a prophecy in every headline and that kind of thing. Mm. And basically what Todd and I do is, is not only help believers understand how much of the Bible is Bible prophecy, up to 30% of the Bible is prophetic, but we help wow. them see how previous prophecies were fulfilled and then kind of where, what age we're living in and what we can, I think, uh, intelligently and theologically and safely say, hey, how close are we to some of these future prophecies being fulfilled? Are there any signs there that are kind of pointing there? So we, we take a very reasoned, very seasoned ap- approach to it. We're very cautious in the things that we say, but we always want to just kind of nail everything down and tether it to the Bible so that yeah. we can discern the times that we're living in. Yeah. Yeah, Todd, yeah. do you have any thought, follow-up <clears throat> thoughts on that? Yeah, I was going to say it, it's twofold. You know, fulfilled prophecy is one of the strongest apologetics for the Bible, so 80% of the prophecies in the Bible have already been fulfilled. That's one of the things that led me to the Lord, in fact, that kind of broke down some barriers I had was mm. I had to consider that the Bible was the Word of God because of fulfilled prophecy. And if all those prophecies were fulfilled literally, then that means all future yet unfulfilled prophecy, all the amazing promises God has in our future, those will be fulfilled literally as well. And as Jeff said, you know, it's definitely been abused. It's understandable why people kind of want to steer away from it. It's something we have to overcome every time we speak or talk about it is like, okay, we're not talking about some sensational stuff and we're not talking about us prophesying out of our own heads what's going to happen in the future. We stick straight to scripture, but our culture, the evangelical culture has thrown the baby out with the bathwater to where a lot of churches just won't even touch it now. And actually a whole generation of Christians has not been taught about prophecy or eschatology, even though Jesus's return is a key component to our very salvation. So we're just trying to really redeem the time and kind of bring this topic back to evangelical culture at large in a non-sensational, thoroughly biblical way. I think what you said there is key, like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I've seen that a lot in my, just in my own experience in the min- in ministry. I've been in ministry 18 years now. And there's some stuff that like, I, I grew up in a more charismatic church. And what happened was I saw a lot of abuse, like just manipulation, you know, mm-hmm. happening. And then what I swing hard the other way as a result of that. And I think a lot of people do, they either swing hard um, where it's like, well, I'm just not going to feel anything. I'm just going to get straight Mm -hmm. intellectual Mm -hmm. or they just bail on Christianity altogether because they saw people just, you know, act weird or say weird things or abusive Mm -hmm. or mean things or whatever. But I was just talking to a friend about this. I was in Maine this last weekend and, and I had lunch with one of the pastors and we were talking about like, the reality is you still can't, you can't read the scriptures and not see crazy things that make you uncomfortable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's like, if I'm trying to even just approach this from a theological perspective, I'm like, well, this stuff, there's some weird, crazy stuff that happens in the scriptures. And if we're going to be theologically Mm -hmm. accurate, we got to wrestle through that stuff. And so I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater in that sense. But you know, what's funny is I've been in ministry 18 years. I didn't know that 30% of the Bible was prophecy. And I didn't know that 80% of that them have already been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. That's really fascinating to me. When you talk about the 80%, are we talking about prophecies about Jesus in particular, or just Jesus and world stuff? Yeah, it's really really all over the map. World empires from Daniel's time until the Roman Empire and, and beyond. There's prophecies about other nations like Tyre and Sidon. Tons of prophecies that critics used to say, oh, the Hittites, for example, they're only found in the Bible, so they weren't a people. They didn't really exist until they discovered the entire capital city of the Hittite empire Mm. and the library with all the documents and that kind of thing. So 
it's funny how archaeology and Bible prophecy kind of validate each other. And every time something is discovered, it simply validates what's in Scripture. But yeah, there's about 109 prophecies about Jesus's first coming. And Jeff, I think the statistic is at least three times that many, three times the mention for the second coming. So it's mm-hmm. even bigger. Really? And like you said, if it weren't for the fact of fulfilled Bible prophecy, everything we believe about our future would sound absolutely yeah. insane. But because we have God has such a proven track record, we can trust that there's a rapture. We can trust that there's going to yeah. be a seven year period of you know of tribulation mm-hmm. and the Lord's return and all this other stuff that's in our future. And mm-hmm. one other thing, just to add to that eighty percent, I mean that thirty percent statistic, is it's not just in the appendix. You know, it's not just Revelation and a little bit in the prophets. Mm-hmm. There's prophecy in every single book of the Bible except for. Third John and the book of Philemon in the New Testament, which are single single chapter verses, and arguably Song of Solomon in the Old Testament. I think there is some prophetic typology about you know the bridegroom and the church in there, but in terms of bona fide prophecy, Song of Solomon is the only one that doesn't have overt prophecy in the Old Testament. So you can't get away from it. If you're reading scripture, you're going to bump into it. Wow. Yeah. In, in fact, when you get to the New Testament, it's for every one mention of the first coming of Christ, the second coming is mentioned eight times more. Mm, wow. And so now you think about that. God is a very intentional author. He doesn't mess around. He, he says what he means. And so we spend a whole month of the year celebrating the first coming of Christ, which is totally legit. But eight more times he's telling believers, look to the second time that I'm coming. Mm-hmm. And yet, are we doing that? Is the church focused on the future? Or are they always focused on what Christ did in the past? And you think about those Old Testament prophets. I mean, those guys, they hardly ever saw any of their prophecies come true. You know, they were kind of looking forward to it. And that's what the New Testament tells us, that they didn't write these things for their benefit, but for yours. But as Todd mentioned, you know, all of those prophecies concerning Christ, 109 of them were fulfilled literally and exactly as prophesied. But there are over 224 prophecies about Jesus that have not yet come true. And so those are some of the things that, you know, that we talk about in our books. And, and then the last thing is just that, you know, God ended his written revelation to mankind with the book of Revelation, which is 95% prophetic. So that tells us that God wants us to think about the future and to know that only God can tell the future. And so we've got the only book in the universe that actually tells us what's going to happen on planet Earth and, and how that we can live in light of those future times. I can feel my mind like blowing in as we're talking. <laughs> I see the wheels turning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to, man, there's so many things I'm excited to talk about here. I don't have, I told my wife this literally last night before we were going to bed. Like I can never claim to have any kind of gift of prophecy. In fact, probably the opposite, like stuff I think is going to happen never happens. You know, like I just, I'm never accurate. I don't have a good read on anything. That being said, I was reading with my kids. I'm going through a chapter a day with them in the Bible. And so we just got done reading the book of Mark. And we were talking about, we read a passage where Jesus comes in on a donkey. He's getting ready to go towards his crucifixion. Mm. And so he's real humble. Even the fact that he comes in on a donkey is a very, you know, there's lots of symbolism there and how humble he is and servant. He's a lamb, right? The sacrificial lamb. But I've been feeling this, but I've been traveling the country. I've been doing ministry 18 years. I've been doing this dad tired ministry the last seven years. But the Mm. last like 12 months, something feels different. The last 12 Mm. months, something just culturally, spiritually, world, like something just feels different. And Mm. even the amount of people I'm seeing come to 
to make a decision to follow Jesus with the best of their understanding in the last 12 months has blown me away. That being said, I was having coffee the other day with Layla, my wife, and I thought to myself, I had this picture that Jesus is like preparing the way for his return. Mm -hmm. And this time it's not on a donkey, but it's like, it's not a lamb coming. (laughs) It's a lion coming, you know, like it's just, there's there's like this, it's more of that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, like this Mm -hmm. kind of like majestic return. And again, I don't want people to hear that and be like, oh, geez, Jared's gone off the rails. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I ate something weird that morning, you know, and was just feeling this. But I guess all of that rambling to say, in your guys' experience, from what you've studied and what you've read, and then now that you're watching the world, what is sticking out to you right now? Are you noticing things shifting in the last year or so? And in what way? Yeah, absolutely. And in, in fact, in mentioning the, that whole donkey thing that you talked about, that Christ triumphant entry into Jerusalem, that event was prophesied in the book of Daniel to the day. I mean, yeah, literally crazy. to the day. And just, you know, you talk about mind blown. I mean, that's what, you know, Todd said prophecy is a great apologetic. I mean, gosh, you get something to the day, you know, thousands of years before, that's a big deal. And yeah, the Bible does say in Revelation 19, he's not coming on a donkey, he's coming on a white conquering steed, and he's going to be gliding in from heaven. And the Bible says the armies of of heaven, including the saints, that's us, will be riding behind him on white horses. And, you know, that is the future. And and yeah, that's sensational. We don't even have to make that sensational. That's already pretty cool. But you're right. What's happening now, what we're seeing now is that the, the earth, I believe, and humanity really is being groomed for that future prophetic time. We're seeing globalism uh, really come into, you know, its cemented form exactly as the Bible prophesies that it will, a one world government uh, coming into form. Uh, We see Israel obviously having been reborn in the land exactly as the Bible prophesied she would. Can I pause you there for a second? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to divert us too much, but even those two examples that you just mentioned, can you tell us like, okay, we hear that kind of stuff on the news? Like, can you make the tie for us in the scriptures? Like, what did the scripture say and what are we seeing in the news? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, two different visions there of future world empires that ends up with a final one world empire uh, that's composed of a 10 nation confederacy or a 10 king confederacy. Uh, we fast forward to the book of Revelation. So that's the past. Fast forward to Revelation, we get to Revelation 13, Revelation 17, and we see the exact same empire uh, that's portrayed there. And then scripture tells us that Antichrist uh, will be that person to rule over that that uh, particular empire. So it's kind of like we see it prophesied in the past. Uh, we're seeing it emerging in the present, and we see it fulfilled in the future. So mm-hmm. it hasn't been fulfilled yet. We don't know who the Antichrist is, but we see all the pieces to the puzzle coming together. So that's why we say, you know, we said early on, we have to anchor our thoughts to the scripture and make sure that, you know, we're not saying, oh, the EU is the Antichrist Empire, United Nations or the G20 or WEF or World Economic Forum. But we see those pieces of the puzzle contributing towards that prophetic narrative that God says specifically will be fulfilled in the last days. That's just for the globalist thing. And then Todd, you can speak to, to the Israel thing. Yeah. So yeah. just yeah, Todd, I do want you to jump in here. So as you're yeah. as you watch the news, you read the new these news mm-hmm. things happening, you see you use the World Economic Forum as an example. Mm-hmm. You hear stuff like that. For you, as somebody who's studied this stuff, mm-hmm. does that just trigger again? It's not like, oh, that's being fulfilled right in front of us, but it does it just trigger something in your mind where like, hmm, that seems like that's moving toward the narrative that we're seeing in scripture? Is that how you interpret those kind of things? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's almost like I see these guys speaking, Klaus Schwab and Noah Yuval Harari, all these guys speaking. I'm going, are you reading the Bible? Are you just reading the Bible and trying your best to fulfill it? I know they're not. But yeah, they're putting together this whole, the whole idea of being a one world, a one mind, all these pieces of the puzzle. And, and they're calling for a one world governance uh, system that Joe Biden's calling for it. Uh, Trudeau's calling for it. Macron's calling for it. The EU's calling for it. Everyone is. And they want one person to be eventually in charge of that. So yeah, again, it's like, and that's where we have to be very cautious to say, you know, we're not talking about this is going to happen in six months or in five years or whatever. We don't know. It could happen very rapidly. And of course, they're going to need a crisis in order to cause the, the nations of the world to say, look, we got to drop our boundaries, got to drop our economy or in terms of our currency, our differences got to go away because we got to focus on solving this problem. And that's what they attempted to do over the whole COVID thing. In fact, that, that's what Klaus Schwab said, is that it, the COVID pandemic represents a rare window of opportunity to bring the world into a one-world governance. So yeah, so we're just seeing those pieces of the puzzle kind of just fall into place. Uh, we don't know how they're going to land, but we do see them falling. Todd, jump in, man. Tell me. I was going to say, and, and to frame all of that, whenever I'm talking about prophecy, I try to keep the prophecy agnostic in mind. Not the atheist, but the believer who's like, yeah... But there's always been crazy stuff in the world. Right. But there are a few things that are different in our generation than any other generation in church history. The first being Israel being a nation again. Every prophecy about the end times, it's a prerequisite for Israel to be a nation again. Mm-hmm. Every Old Testament prophet, except for Jonah, prophesied Israel would become a nation again in the last days. And on the other side of the, the uh, coin, we have a convergence of all these conditions happening. So Israel's a nation again. Then you have as Jeff said, and Jeff's an expert on this, the globalist stuff, globalism, you have the technology for Revelation 13, you know, you hear, and this is one of the areas that's so sensationalized. We're almost hesitant to talk about it, but the mark of the beast, all of the technology that's in place for that to happen in today's world is here now. It's not all consolidated under one person controlling it, but the technology is literally here. And can then we you, also can see- Can you unpack that part? So <clears throat> I, I always like to talk to- the least educated Christian in the room. So the guy who's like, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to lead my family well, but I have no idea. When you say Mark of the Beast, like I thought I totally. heard, read that on or saw that on a movie once, but what does that mean? Yeah. No. So in Good Revelation question. 13, it, it talks about, that's a fantastic question. Yeah. And we try to not assume, you know, everybody is up, up to speed. And, but in Revelation 13, it talks about that the future antichrist, well, the, the false prophet kind of his right hand man will help the world worship the antichrist and take a mark on their hand or their forehead that literally enables them to buy or sell. They can turn them on or off the grid, you know, just with the flip of a digital switch, that kind of thing. Jeff and I hold to a pre-trib view where we believe we're raptured out of here before that happens. So now's a good time to become a believer, get out of here before all that crazy stuff happens. But those who don't take the mark, because there'll be a great awakening in the tribulation period, because there's a God's still at, at work and he still wants to reach people even in times of judgment. But whoever doesn't take the mark, most of them will be martyred for not taking the mark. So, wow. and also we find that once somebody does take that mark in the future tribulation period, they're no longer redeemable. They've sealed their fate. They've chosen their, their side, so to speak. So anyway, those things that requires digital currency. It requires a central hub for, you know, a central digital way of seeing that, seeing every transaction in the world. So right now you have, and Jeff's done a lot of study on this, he could speak to this more than I can, but central bank digital currencies 
and the nature of those. Um, he has a whole talk he does on that. So Jeff, you might want to add yeah. some there. That's pretty powerful. I appreciate that perspective because Todd and I both grew up on church. So when we came to Christ, I came at age 16 and Todd was a teenager as well, but we came to Christ with almost no knowledge. And so a lot of this stuff was really new, but to kind of give the macro view, kind of the Google earth view for a second is that you think about, you know, Satan, who is our enemy as believers, his ambition has always been to be worshiped. This is why he was booted out of heaven. Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel 28 uh, talks about that rebellion. God sent him down to the earth. And ever since then, Satan has always tried to do two things. He's wanted to rule the world. And he's wanted to be worshiped. And he mm. started all the way back with Nimrod, the Tower of Babel. And it's been going on ever since then. Well, through this man, Antichrist, Satan will finally realize his long ambition to do those two things, to rule the world and to be worshiped. And so that's what this whole mark of the beast is. And and the Bible tells us in Revelation 13 that it's going to be a an actual mark, like a tattoo, on the hand, the right hand, or on the forehead. Uh, it's not a chip. It's not you know some sort of biotech tool necessarily. It's it's on the hand. The Bible says it uses very specific words there. But here's the deal: as Todd mentioned, the whole digital currency thing is that digitally right now, if we were to all go digital, and by the way, there's over 110 countries in the world that are in some stages of exploring digital currency for their country, including the United States. Mm -hmm. Basically, what that means is that every transaction that is made, everything, is traceable, trackable, programmable, and expirable. And so that means mm -hmm. that if a government were to then take ownership of that, uh, they could just turn you off. You've had your, your meat allotment for the month, or, or you've traveled too much, or whatever. We're going to you know, shut you down. That's obviously the tyrannical stage of that. But in terms of uh, the relationship to the mark of the beast is that it identifies you, A, as a worshiper of Antichrist, as Todd said, and then secondly, it enables you to participate in his economy, essentially your economic passport. And so that is going to be kind of the, the coup de grace. That's going to be the pinnacle of Satan's rulership on the earth through Antichrist, uh, through this mark. And obviously, we're not there yet. We believe this happens about three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation period that's talked about in Daniel and the book of Revelation. But, but again, all the infrastructure right now, which we're actually seeing with our own eyes, is being put in place for all of those uh, components. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this is incredible stuff. A couple questions here. When Does the Bible talk about, when you're talking about the Antichrist, does the Bible make it explicit? Like, will somebody, will my neighbors who maybe if I have a neighbor that doesn't believe in Jesus and they're just living their life right now in 2023 and this person rises up, could somebody worship or be part of following the Antichrist without knowing explicitly that they are the Antichrist? That's a great question. I think in the early stages, he comes as a man of peace. I think he'll mm. fool many in the world. They won't see him. That's why Jeff and I always laugh when people play pin the tail on the Antichrist because they're like, Look at this evil world leader. He's a perfect candidate for the Antichrist. No, because in Scripture, in Daniel and Revelation, he comes up out of obscurity, and he's a peace broker. He, he brokers a peace deal, Daniel chapter 9, mm. between Israel and the many. So since, what, the 70s, we've seen many attempts at peace treaties between Israel and other nations, and it's just the foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the future. So he's going to come as a man of peace. The gloves don't come off until the midpoint, and there's a bunch of events that surround that. But there's a point in the middle where he breaks the covenant, it says in Daniel chapter 9, and goes after the Jewish people. And as a matter of fact, it says he's indwelled by Satan. 
at that point, Jeff always says it's the devil with skin on. Mm. Jeff's written a couple books specifically about that that are really compelling. Then it's at that point, then the gloves come off and he's evil. So then when the mark is administered, no, there'll be no question. They know they're not just doing it to be able to survive. They know they are worshiping the Antichrist. If anyone's hadn't heard this before and wants to learn it, just read slowly and carefully through Revelation 13. It's very clear at that point. And even before then, you see during the judgments in, tribu- in the tribulation period, people will be taking sides. There's a great revival with multitudes from every tribe, nation, and tongue who accept the Lord. And then there's what are referred to as earth dwellers who continually choose more and more against God until at the midpoint, they choose to worship the beast. And then at the end of the tribulation period, they're so deluded, they literally choose to fight against Christ when he returns. Wow! So it's part of the story of the seven-year tribulation is the earth choosing sides and sealing their fate. So you guys have talked, you've used the word rapture and tribulation a few times. So again, mm-hmm. I just want to keep going back to like, for somebody who's, mm-hmm. this is brand new to all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I just met a real young guy who's like, he doesn't even have kids yet at this conference yet, and he's like brand new believer. So, you know, he tunes into this podcast this week and he's like, holy cow, you know, what, what am I gotten myself into? So let's, <laughs> yeah. let's rewind a little bit. Can you, yeah. Jeff, maybe give us the quick summary of like, what is the rapture like just walk us through the timeline of events here of how things the Bible tells us things are going to go down. Yeah, the way that we take scripture and the way that it's it's laid out uh, specifically in the New Testament but also some of the Old Testament is that the next prophetic event on God's calendar is what we call the rapture. Uh, it's talked about in John 14:1 through 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. And basically what the rapture is, is it follows the Jewish betrothal custom of a of a husband or a, a bride, a groom-to-be, who is engaged to a woman, and he goes away to build onto his father's house. Then he comes back, and he snatches up his bride and takes her to the wedding. That's mm. the rapture, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so what Christ is doing is, is he's promised to come back in John 14 to take us away to the father's house prior to God unleashing his judgments on the planet which is what the tribulation period is. So the chronology would be is that the rapture takes place, uh, the great great taking away, and then the tribulation period begins. It's a seven-year uh, period. Jesus talked about uh, Matthew 24, and we read about it all throughout Revelation and in Daniel 9. But this tribulation period is when God will basically bring his wrath on the planet uh, mm. through a series of judgments called the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments. So God's wrath is unleashing on the earth. Antichrist is rising. There's just cataclysmic chaos going on everywhere in the heavens, on the earth. And then in the midst of all that, people are, humanity's undergoing this incredible transformation. There's a great deception that comes on the planet to where they want to choose Satan. They want to choose the Antichrist. So it's really a horrible time. But we believe we're going to be rescued, just like Noah was rescued uh, before the flood, like Lot was rescued out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus promised, I believe, to rescue his bride. So at the end of that seven-year tribulation, then Jesus is going to come back like the great conquering hero that he is. He's going to do business with his enemies there, and he's going to set up his kingdom on the earth as he promised. So that's a basic chronology there. That was incredibly concise really well. <laughs> that, was, that was wonderful. Okay. You guys are both dads, and you geek out on this stuff, and you really, you're watching the world, you're studying the scriptures, and you're recognizing there's a much bigger story happening here. Mm-hmm. But today, as a husband and a dad, and as a disciple, how does it change 
your day-to-day living, which I think is where a lot of people might dismiss this stuff. It's like, oh, I don't know when all this stuff's going to happen. I don't know, you yeah. know, the rapture's today or 500 years from now. So I got bills to pay today and I got to go to work. Mm-hmm. My boss is telling me I got to put in extra hours. Mm-hmm. So how does this impact <laughs> our day-to-day as a husband-father disciple? That is a fantastic question. And, and you hit the nail on the head in terms of the two extreme responses are, I don't want to think about it it's so far in the future and I can't really know. So I'm not going to give it much, much uh, headspace. And the other extreme is, oh, it's so soon that I'm not going to plan. I'm afraid to have kids. I'm afraid to save for my kids' college. I'm going to sell everything and go live it up now or tell people about Jesus and then he's coming next week. Yeah, so stop, those stop paying off debt or don't have kids. Yeah, you know, it's exactly. just like the world's going to get some pajamas. Yeah. yeah. And I've literally, we've seen people do this go off the grid, live underground with stock up on ammo and food hey, and everything I've else. I've thought about doing it, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But we have to remember, we serve a sovereign God who's still on the throne. He's never surprised. And he has us here at this time in history for a reason. Mm. Jeff and I don't know for sure that the Lord's returning in our lifetime. As we mentioned, there's some key things that are converging like no other generation in church history. We can say that without a doubt. So it, it seems that he's coming soon. But whether he comes in our lifetime or not, we're challenged as dads and as men of God to preach the whole counsel of God, including prophecy. And a matter of fact, Mm -hmm. even from a dad's perspective or a leadership perspective, every leadership book you read or every dad book you read, you have to have a vision for the future. So it's our glorious vision of the future that draws us forward. We're we're living towards something. We're living from the future. We're not living in the past. So don't get stuck in the past. Don't get stuck in the mindset that we have to live in fear. Like Peter walking on the water, when we look at the waves, yeah, it gets a little scary, but if we just fix our eyes on Jesus, we literally have nothing to fear. And if you use the example of Daniel throughout the book of Daniel, and we're not guaranteed, you know, danger is real, bad things really can happen. But when you look at God's people throughout scripture, oftentimes they're protected through trials. If you read the book of Daniel, for example, over and over again, they're living for God. They're living for their principles that they stand on and God preserved them through that. So whether he does return in our lifetime or not, we need to stand strong and live for the Lord and still plan for the future. Jeff quotes Martin Luther, who said, if, if I knew the Lord was coming tomorrow, I'd plant a tree today. Like, mm. And matter of fact, mm. First and Second Thessalonians, if you read those in context, there's a lot there. But those are Second Thessalonians in particular is the most eschatological book of Paul's letters. But the context of both of those is be ready for the Lord's return at any moment. And while you're doing that, work hard and keep your feet on the ground and Mm. keep serving people and keep Mm. telling people about Jesus. Mm. I mean, whether it's the first century church or whether it's the 21st century church, that's still the healthiest way to live. And we've lost a lot of that. So that's Mm. another reason that we think this topic is so compelling because it's not just because of the convergence we're seeing, but it's also because it's part of scripture and it's part of how to live the Christian life. Mm. Mm-hmm. Really well said. Jeff, any, any final thoughts? Yeah. I mean, we raised three boys. Uh, they're now the youngest will be 30 this year. And uh, they're three godly men, incredible guys. And when my first son was born, I was in ministry. I was a student pastor. And, you know, you're just going 90 to nothing kind of thing. But we made a commitment as a couple at that time that these boys would be our number one priority way over ministry, over anything else uh, other than obviously our relationship with God and each other. And they knew that growing up. And so, and I had some great models for me as well. I had some not so great models too that I'm pointing as a don't do that one. Okay. Don't be that dad. <laughs> but the cool thing was that as a dad, 
having a son or having a daughter, that's a gift. It's a stewardship. It's something that God gives us for a loan. We get this loan for like 18 years, and then hopefully if we've done our job, they go out and they fly by themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, But part of that duty as a dad is to be that guy that at night when kids are at bed, you go up on the wall and you're looking out. You're, You're seeing what's going on on the horizon out there in the world that I need to know for my kids' sake. You're that person that watches for the enemy at the gate to see, you know, something's coming, closing in on your family that is a threat to your family. You're a protector, but you're also a spiritual leader. And that enables us to be able to lead in just a multiplicity of ways. Not like you were saying is, you know, reading Bible stories and scripture to them at night, which obviously, you know, we did as well. But all those things kind of contribute to your lifestyle, your words, everything to building young, godly men and women. And as it relates to Bible prophecy, it gets to the point where we can show our kids, hey, you want us to hear something really cool that God did? Way back, 700 years before Jesus was born, they prophesied that he would be born of a virgin, you know, and look what happened here in Matthew chapter one. And just to show them the amazing prophecies of the Bible and how incredible it is that that God is so cool that he can predict the future. And in the meantime of all that going on, we change diapers, you know, we ride bikes with our kids, we take them to school and that type of thing, because that's a part of our daily stewardship. So if we're faithful in all these things, keeping in mind that ultimately we are citizens of heaven, we're all that know the Lord are going to go to heaven one day, but just keeping in mind, we got to do the dailies, but at the same time, you know, keep an eye on the horizon, make sure that we're knowing what's going on in the world so that we can make wise and biblical decisions about how to lead our families uh, on a daily basis. Man, I really appreciate your guys' perspective. Really, really mm-hmm. appreciate it. And what the thing I was thinking too is there's just a deep sense of peace, you know, as the world is is mm-hmm. feels chaotic and and everyone around you is panicking that yeah. you know how the story yeah. ends. And like you were saying, Todd, mm-hmm. like, man, I'm I'm chosen by God. Like I'm protected. I'm an adopted son mm-hmm. of God. Like I I can mm-hmm. rest in how this story ends, regardless yep. of how chaotic the world gets. That alone the joy of my salvation that leads me to a mm. deep soul rest changes mm-hmm. the way I parent my kids. It mm. changes the peace that I have. And it's oftentimes I, I've noticed in myself when I'm feeling anxious about the world around me, whether that's work or my current situations or the actual globe, it changes how quick I am, how quick tempered I am, how impatient mm-hmm. I am with my mm-hmm. kids and all that stuff. And so if we stay, I love what you said too, Jeff, like that we're, we're on watch. We watch the world. That, that was a great mm-hmm. picture. Like we're, we're looking mm-hmm. out the window. Where's the enemy moving? Mm-hmm. But in all of right. that, we still have this deep sense of peace and it just changes the way I love my wife and my kids. So yeah. Yeah. man, you've definitely won me over as a subscriber. I'm going to uh, immediately <laughs> hang up this interview and go subscribe and just start jumping in. And I have a feeling you're going to find, or we're going to have a, a ton of other guys who listen to this and are like, they want to dive into this deeper. So thank you. Any next steps for these uh, dads listening that you would recommend? I, we Obviously, let's have them jump over to your podcast, but any other next steps that you'd recommend? Just one reminder, kind of piggybacking off of what you and Jeff were just discussing is that our kids are, are mirrors. They, they pick up on our vibe. So like you said, we need to make sure, and I do this every morning. If I don't, I'm, I'm loopy throughout the day. I, I have to find my center every morning, recalibrate, God, I'm recommitting you today. Let me get into your word. God's word is supernatural. I recommend getting into it first thing in the morning. It recalibrates you. It reminds you God's sovereign, and it, and, and it does something you can't even describe. His word is supernatural, and it changes us. 
And then, like you said, that impacts how we relate to our, our wives and our kids that day. It puts things into perspective when the pressures of work and the pressures of marriage and the pressures of parenting all come crashing in. We can still be in the moment and say, all right, Lord, I'm dealing with just this moment today. I'm not going to worry about mm-hmm. the future. You've already got that. And you're, you're proving that over and over again. So being centered in God's word, even aside from Bible prophecy, just in, in his word, period, and in the truths of God's word is key to, I believe, living a successful life. Because it's, it's all new territory for most dads. Even if we've read the books, there's no handbook that tells you everything you're going to face. So you really do have to walk a life of faith, step by step, trusting in the Lord each day. Yeah. I'd just say that your kids are going to be gone before you know it. And so you need to seize the moment. You need to make daily deposits into that bank account. And if you do, then you will reap multiple rewards from that to where one day when they're adults, uh, God willing, they're they're going to heap blessings back on you and they're going to be the people you always prayed that they Mm. would be. Uh, and what just kept it in perspective for me, and then I'll shut up, is that I in the front of my Bible, I remember I was in church one day, listening to the pastor, really wouldn't listen that well, but I listened to the sermon, I was marking my Bible, and I started listing the number of years I had left with my sons. And I think the youngest had eight years left, and eight, seven, six, five. And for, with each of the sons, I would cross off a number as the year went by, and I got down to where I was down to zero for each mm. of those kids. Mm. And, you know, didn't parent perfectly, obviously not. I'm not going to win dad of the year kind of thing, but at the same time, a great sense of satisfaction knowing that I have deposited massive amounts of time, energy, spirituality, and love uh, into their account. And, you know, God has caused that to really pay off. And so just know that they're going to be gone for, you know, what time goes, time goes faster as you get older with your kids. Mm -hmm. And so just hang in there, uh, do what you're supposed to do. And I guarantee you, God will reward you for your, your labor, man. Man, that's a great word. I'll be honest, when we started talking, my chest felt tight, and now I feel a deeper <laughs> sense of rest. When we nice. talked about all the world stuff, I was like, oh, man, this is intense. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. My, it's overwhelming, yeah. for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, you guys, thank you so much. This has been really, really fun. And uh, like I said, I, I'm excited to jump in. I don't think I've ever actually, since our, in our whole time talking here, explicitly said the name of your podcast, which is Prophecy Pros Podcast. So um, mm-hmm. have definitely all you guys who are listening, go jump over there right now, subscribe to that podcast and, and start diving in. But thank you guys. I know you're busy. So thanks for carving out some time. Our it was pleasure. a lot of fun. Thank, thank you. you. Hey guys, as always, I hope that episode was helpful for you. If you want to continue your journey of being the husband and father and disciple that God has called you to be, Pick up a copy of the Dad Tired Mixtape available for pre-sale now. You can get that wherever books are sold. Amazon's always a great price. Again, that's the new Dad Tired Mixtape book about to be released. You can get that wherever books are sold. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.